Hi and welcome to Personal Finance with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 24, choosing a financial advisor because that's what we do here, try to make anything financial easier to get to grips with. So if you think you need professional help with an aspect of your finances, uh, today's the show which should point you in the right direction of how to select one for your needs. All the advice on that coming up after a word in general about the show, because we're like Pringles, one is never enough. And if we're not attracting in free Pringles in all flavours by the end of the week, their marketing and PR is shoddy. Uh, Take a listen to this, though. Just lately, we've looked at everything from mortgages to pensions, redundancies to investments, insurances to inheritances. It's all here and it's all free. Tap into our back catalogue whenever you want. Uh, Every show works on its own, but my advice is have a listen to them all when it suits you, however it suits you. And then if you'd be kind enough to rate and review us, we'd be very grateful. Hit subscribe as well, and that way you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop, and you'll be right up to date. For our library of money advice shows, search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Apple or whatever you get your podcast. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Apple or whatever you get your podcast. I'm John Mellis and with me as always the star of our show it's Phil Anderson. Hi Phil. Hi John how are you? Good thank you. Now today's show all about choosing a financial advisor. Uh, The first thing I'm going to throw at you is what does anyone need one of them for? We're here every week you're the expert. I'm the (laughs) agent who asks every tough question that everyone's been too frightened to ask themselves. Together we are getting it done. Why do they need another professional? I I would say there's lots of different reasons why people need advice from a financial advisor but you've also got different types of financial advisor and not only that you've also got financial advisors that help with lots of different things so you might find some might specialize in pensions some might do inheritance tax planning a lot of different things to consider but this week's show covers who to go to and and where to find them okay so let's start with what does a financial advisor do or what what might they do and how can they help me that's it. Financial advisors do many different things. I mean, they, they can help you plan for retirement. They can help you with, with savings, investments, planning at retirement. So, so some once you've maybe built up a pension pot, they, they can go through the, the different options of, of what you can do with that pot. Some can do mortgages. Some do equity release mortgages. You've got things like inheritance tax planning, Ethical investments is something they can help with at the moment. That's quite a a topical one. Some will do like tax planning, tax efficient investments. Some will help with with different insurances such as income protection, life insurance, critical illness cover. So it really is that there's an awful lot of areas Mm. that financial advisors can help people with. How, how do you find financial advisors? I mean, most specifically the right one and that you mentioned a whole load of stuff there. So the right one and the best one for my circumstances. I mean, are you all in a club to make it easier to find like the magic circle, like something like that? I, I would say like my, my business, uh, I, I've got a financial advice business. I, I'm not qualified as a financial advice, well, qualified as a financial advisor, but I'm not licensed to, to give advice anymore. My, my job's just running things. And at my firm, where most of our inquiries come from is word of mouth and referrals um, that that's by far the biggest one so I, I would say if someone is looking to take financial advice ask their friends it's like look who do you use um, are they good what sort of things do they, they do for you so word, word of mouth is definitely where where most financial advisors would tend to get most of their business from but 
the financial advisors are regulated by the, the Financial Conduct Authority. And one what that basically means is that a regulated advisor has got to make a personal recommendation to, to someone. People have got the, the peace of mind that they've got the, the financial ombudsman service and the financial services compensation scheme. But there's quite a lot. I mean, online these days, you, there's different directories. The, the Money Advice Service have, have actually got, I think it's a Find a Retirement Advisor tool that they've got. So it, it's quite a good one if someone was at the point where they're looking for advice on on pensions. Mm. One, one that I've used a lot in the past is a, a directory called Unbiased on their advisor's pay to be on there so you're not going to find all financial advisors on there but it's quite good it gives you an idea like firms in your area it also says if if they do maybe like any free initial consultations and um, any discounts they might give on on the advice so un- unbiased.co.uk that that's one where you'll find quite a lot of firms that that's often the one that providers signpost people to as well on, on their website, they've got like filters that you can put in. So you might think, right, I want to specifically deal with pensions and retirement. So there's a filter you can put in and it'll filter out. For example, mortgages, not, not all financial advisors are going to do mortgages. So if you were looking for advice on a mortgage, you might put in that filter and more than half the firms are likely to, to disappear. Um, another directory that, that's quite popular is one called Vouched For. It, it's one where people can leave um, ratings for, for advisors. The only thing I was a bit sceptical about the likes of that was that some of that things can be manipulated mm. by, by the advisors as well. And, and that's why they, the directories are great to try and give people an idea of companies out there. But I, I don't know, for me personally, I just think you cannot beat word of mouth and, and speaking to some of your friends or family, who do they deal with? And is that advisor a, a good fit for you? Just You mentioned that some specialise in, in certain aspects. I mean, do they have like a, I don't know, a, something hanging over the door or a, a tag for the company that says, hey, we're the tax guys or, you know, we're the mortgage people to come to. Do you get that kind of speciality reference? Yeah, you'll get, I mean, some, some companies will call themselves maybe like uh, wealth managers or, or wealth management is often a thing. And that to me indicates that they tend to deal more with maybe like high net worth investments, pension. Yeah. That, that automatically says, not you, John. That's what it says to me. <laughs> that's one thing that, that people have different ideas as to what they think financial advisors will do. Some think that financial advisors are only for, for really wealthy folk. I mean, you, you've got some, some advisory firms do have like minimum wealth levels. So so like when, when I do a search, I mean, there, there's some firms that will say you've got to have a minimum wealth of 250,000 or your income's got to be 100 grand a year. But mm-hmm. you will find there are firms out there that will deal with people that's got any level of wealth and any level of, of income coming in. So it, it's maybe on some of these directory sites, it's putting in that filters to say, right, who who's going to be a good fit for for myself? Well, one thing you will find is that the majority of financial advisory firms will tend to offer a free initial review. And and one thing that I would always recommend to folk is go and speak to a couple of different firms. Mm. Don't just go to, to one because um, it's good maybe saying right, what can you do? 
um, what's the benefits of, of dealing with yourself and and also we, we'll touch on costs soon enough but different firms will have different charging structures so mm-hmm. it's good to I, I always think it's good to speak to a couple of different firms and see who's got to be the best fit for for you it's like going for a test drive for a car right or trying on a, a jumper in a shop or something you know don't just go for yeah, one go for it. yeah uh, tell you something that always bothers me and i speak as someone whose family has had experience of this sort of thing it makes sense to me with all the, the sort of financial scams that are on the go out there a smart uh, unscrupulous thief might stumble upon the idea of setting themselves up as a, a financial advisor as an expert in some aspect of of wealth management if you like I think you touched on this briefly. There are some sort of bodies, but how how do I tell the good guys from the bad ones specifically? One one of the first things that someone can do is they can check the FCA register. The, the FCA stands for Financial Conduct Authority. They're they're the regulator of they, they regulate financial advisors in the UK. So if if you go onto their the the Financial Services Authority register, that'll show you who is authorised, who's not authorised. I've seen I, I've seen it a lot in the past. You maybe got somebody that was a, a financial advisor and, and a number of years ago, the new standards came in that financial advisors had to have done a certain level of examination. So a, a lot of the older guys at that point kind of disappeared. But what some of them were still going around with business cards saying it might, it might say financial consultant or they, they would try to find a way around it and and then what they would maybe do is introduce the client to somebody else, but they would still try to almost pass themselves off as mm-hmm. advisors. And but once probably the simplest way is to go on the FCA register. That'll tell you if someone is registered as an advisor or not. Another thing to look at is like online reviews. With, with the internet nowadays, it's easy to kind of go online and say, right, let's have a look. And let's- again, you've got that suspicion, though, haven't you? That it, it, it may be doctored. Um, yeah, to to sort of provide plus points for themselves. Definitely. I mean, I I, I seen it. The, the, I I got through. Oh, it was like an offer on Facebook not that long ago from somebody claiming to be like a financial advisory firm. So I went on their Facebook page. It only had about twelve likes. There was ve- there was only about three posts, and I thought, nah, it looks looks kind of suspicious. So I, mm. I looked them up. You, you can search individuals on the FCA register. And you can also search companies as well. So, so it's quite a good tool to use. And I, I went on, searched the register for that company, and lo and behold, they weren't there. So that was somebody that had just sort of quickly set up a Facebook page. It, long established businesses will tend to have more of a footprint, so to speak. And I mean, like if somebody searched my firm, it'll come up with I maybe mean, our Facebook page has been going for years. We've got reviews on there. I know. Like you've got Google reviews these days, but as I said earlier, word of mouth to me is like one of the the major kind of benefits. Another thing as well is even to say to the advisor, it's like, look, can I have a look at your qualifications? Yeah. All all financial <clears throat> advisors in the UK have got to have what's called a, a level four qualification. The the main ones there, there's um, what's called the the diploma in financial planning or diploma in regulated financial planning. That that tends to be the main one. That's through the Chartered Insurance Institute. The the other examination body, um, I think they, they've got one called Diploma and uh, Diploma for Financial Planners. That's through the London Institute of Banking and Finance. So there's different examination bodies. But hey, I I I wouldn't I mean if I'm looking to invest money or, or do something, you're you're making big important decisions. So 
I would even say to somebody, look, can I have a look at your, yeah. your qualifications? It's, it's uh, no different to asking someone at your door that's supposedly coming around to fix your gas tank, you know, can I can I see your some form of ID or, you know, if, a, if the police call at your door, do you, do you have your warrant card or whatever? It's the same sort of thing, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, you mentioned, Phil, in the past, uh, I know you said sometimes people will try and maybe pass themselves off as a financial consultant or whatever, but yeah. the two that I hear you talking about most are financial planners and financial advisors. Is is there a difference between the two? Yeah, there can be. I mean, different different firms will have like different job specifications for, for each role. I mean, I, I myself would tend to class a financial planner as somebody that's helping you plan for the, the future. And, and with them, it's not just about like the products that someone's taken out, but it's also like helping them with a plan of, of how to get there. Mm-hmm. Some, some, some people would say that there's no difference between a financial planner and financial advisor. But for, for me, financial planners generally will tend to be helping you with, with all the planning and, and that. Whereas financial advisors historically tended to be more about the actual products that they were mm-hmm. Selling so they, they, they go sort of um, product by product and, and a financial planner might say, well, uh, you know, according to your pensions here, you're going to have X by the time you retire. Are you happy with that amount? Um, because if not, here's what we can do. That sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it as well, you've got a lot of people that will use the title like wealth management is one that, that a lot. So they, they'll maybe say, oh, I'm a wealth manager. And mm. a lot of times... In essence, there's probably not a lot of difference between what everybody's doing, but some will do it in slightly different ways. And, and coming back to the, the qualifications again as well, I mean, even there, you've got different, you've got certified financial planners, chartered financial planners. It's like accountants, chart- isn't it? I know you've got chartered wealth managers, you've got advisors that are um, members of the Society of Later Life Advisors as a pension transfer gold standard. You, you've got all these different things. Mm. So it's no wonder people get kind of confused. And I, I would say, I mean, like in, any financial advisors who, who've gone and done, for example, like become chartered financial planners, you know that they've certainly done a lot of examinations. I, I do always think, I mean, it, it's great. I, I think I, I'm always encouraging my staff to, to do more exams and learn more and better themselves Sometimes you'll find some chartered financial planners will then think, well, we're more qualified to deal with people who've got lots of wealth. But that, that's not always the case. Mm. Um, so it, so looking at the level of wealth that a firm will, will kind of advise on is a, a big factor um, when somebody's looking for advice as well. And sometimes, I mean, it, I guess as well, you know, if you look for a financial advisor, it, it might not come down to how many exams they've passed, but just simply whether you connect and whether they have similar life experiences. Definitely. I mean, I, I know when I used to advise, I mean, in my younger days, I wasn't as experienced in life, whereas now hmm. I, I didn't advise, I, I didn't give any regulated advice nowadays, but I've still got all my qualifications. I've got life experience now. Mm-hmm. That, that's the thing. And that, that counts for a lot as well. But yeah, definitely try to get somebody that you, you click with is, is always good yeah. as well. And that, that's why I recommend to people, look, go and speak to a couple of different advisors. Don't just speak to, to one. And, and th- this show as well, it's not about promoting me or my business. It's just, it's more about promoting financial advice in general. So mm. I, I would definitely say, speak to a couple of different advisors, see which one you think you'll click with, try and get an idea as to, to what costs they, they have and 
they are definitely different things to consider. You said it there. Um, uh, this is the nitty gritty part. How much does it cost to use a, a financial advisor? It, it can vary. The, the one good thing is that advisors have got to tell you up front what all their costs and charges are. As well, it, it's got to be fee-based. Years ago, financial advisors would get paid a commission from the product providers. Now, for investments and pensions nowadays, that can't happen. It's got to be fee-based. Now, the, the only commission that advisors can get paid on is on what's called protection products. So that would be life insurance, critical illness cover, income protection. So an advisor would be able to tell you what their fees are going to be, and they can tell you that straight away. Some some of them will try to maybe skirt around the issue, but a, a good financial advisor knows their worth, so so they shouldn't have any issues at all about saying, right, this is what we charge, and then the client can, can say, right, am I happy with that, am I not? But the advisor should also be selling the benefits of why people should be, be using them as well. But, but when it comes to fees, some advisors will charge an hourly rate. I believe the, the UK average is £150 per hour, but that can vary from half that amount up to a few hundred pounds per, per hour. Many will do a, a fixed fee. Some will, will charge a monthly fee. Others will, will take a fee as on an ongoing basis, but maybe as a percentage of someone's assets. Um, a lot of firms still charge a percentage of, of however much somebody's maybe investing. So there, there's an awful lot of different ways that advisory firms can charge for their, their services. But as I say, the, the one thing is they've got to tell you up front what the, that cost would be. Mm. Um, so so it's easy enough to, to compare what each company would, would be charging you for something. Just something I want to clear up, Phil. I, I know in, in previous shows you've mentioned certainly independent financial advisors, and that to me has always sounded like the sort of the gold standard because they're not tied into anybody. They can they can recommend purely based on their knowledge and their, their expertise. Whereas there are some advisors, I think, that are tied into specific companies that, that it's in their interest to recommend that company. Explain the difference around that sort of thing for me. Yeah, you've got, I mean, there, there's independent financial advisors and then some advisors are what's called restricted advisors. And I'd probably say that the best way to describe it, an independent financial advisor isn't restricted in the types of products they can recommend or the providers who, whose products they offer either. Whereas a, a restricted advisor might just be able to do the products of one company or they might only be able to advise on certain types of products. So, um, that, that would be the main differences between an independent financial advisor and a restricted advisor. But it's not to say, I mean, re restricted advisors, it's not to say that they're not any good or anything, but mm. no, it's, uh, there is some differences there as Presum well. Presumably, if you're going through the, the sort of Rolodex, as you mentioned, the online uh, collection of, of uh, financial advisors, and you're, you're looking through that, I would imagine if I had a finance advice company and it was an independent one, I'd be flagging up in neon lights for all it was worth. Presumably it says that sort of thing on this directory. Yeah, you, you'll find advisors have got to disclose what their status is. Now, again, I've seen some in the past almost try to pass themselves off as being independent financial advisors when they're not. The, the directory unbiased, that only lists what's called independent financial advising ah, okay. firms. The, the one that I mentioned vouched for, they, they do have 
restricted advisors on there. So, for example, St. James's Place is one of the biggest financial advisory firms out there. Now, they're restricted because their guys can only do their products. So that's an example of like a, a restricted model. But it's not to say, I mean, if you, you will find if somebody is advising just on the products of one company, then they'll tend to know that product's very well. Mm. And even going back to independent financial advisors, you will find that although they claim to be independent, they'll have preferred providers mm. as well. So they might have two or three providers that they maybe put the majority of their, their business to. But what they've got to be able to do is justify why they're recommending mm-hmm. that. So so I know at my firm, we, we do a lot of due diligence on the, the various companies. So if someone said, right, why have you recommended this one or that one? We, we've got plenty of evidence mm-hmm. there. Um, it could be that their financial strength, they've got good performance, lots of different reasons. Yeah. But you, the advisors have got to be able to justify why they're recommending who, who they are, if they are independent. I mean, I, I guess you can be independent, but still build up a sort of good working relationship with someone at another company. And, and therefore, it makes it easier to deal with them for certain aspects. And, and you're still independent. That's it. And what you will find with, with a lot of financial advisors as well, whether they're independent or, or restricted, many will offer people a free initial review. And, and the reason that they tend to do that as they, they want to get to know someone better. But at, at the outset, there's normally an awful lot of areas that you can help someone with. So, so somebody might contact you saying, oh, I want advice on pensions, but they might have other monies that they, they might want to, an advisor will sit down and usually think, right, I can help you with more areas than just mm. what you want to look at. And mm-hmm. they might help with inheritance tax planning. They, there might be an awful lot of different areas. So, I know at my firm, we, we always offer a free initial review because we think, right, we can sit down with you, find out what areas we can help with, and then give you an idea as to what the costs would be for, and not only the costs, but what the benefits to you would be for mm-hmm. us looking at all the, the different areas. Let's weigh up the pros and cons. I mean, nobody's doing this thing for free. Um, a financial advisor has been paid by someone. So if you're paying for it, what's the benefits of getting advice? I would say that the major benefit is that it gives you peace of mind. A financial advisor has got to, to make a personalized recommendation. So you've got but behind that, if, if there was ever anything went wrong, you've got things like the financial ombudsman there, the financial services compensation scheme. So that it gives you peace of mind using a, a financial advisor or financial planner. It helps you feel less anxious about your finances. A, a good financial planner can help you reach your goals as well. That, that's a thing. And th- there was research recently from Royal London. I think it came out in September last year. And it, it said that if you take ongoing financial advice, so this is not just taking a one-off financial mm-hmm. advice, but if you've got a regular relationship with a, a financial advisor, they, their research said that you're two times as likely to enjoy peace of mind and you can be up to 50% better off hmm. than people who are only getting financial advice once. So, so not only would be, I, I'd be a great advocate to say that someone should take financial advice, but I, I always feel, yeah, you should. there's a lot of benefits for taking ongoing financial advice as well. When's a, when's a good time to speak with a financial advisor? I don't mean, you know, 9.30 because I've just finished my breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you know, when, when's a good time in, in in the sort of circle of life, if you like, to speak with a financial advisor? The, you, you get, I mean, I, I would say anytime there's any major 
life changes. So maybe if you were getting married, if you're getting divorced, if someone's died, moving home, retiring, that it, that all that sort of things are usually a trigger to say, right, there's been a change in circumstances. Let's just re- mm-hmm. review my financial position. Coming up, we're, we're getting closer to the, the end of the tax year. Um, ISA season is always a popular time for people to, to contact an advisor. So that, that I, I would definitely say best time to speak to an advisor would be when there's like something major yeah. happened. And, yeah. and not only that, maybe, maybe I mean, if, if you're away to retire or if you hit a certain age. So so I know um, one, one of the things that I was going to mention earlier in the, the show was once you're age 50, you've got access to, um, there's a website called pensionwise.gov.uk and that on, on that website, you can get free guidance on your pensions, but they're not actually making a recommendation. They, they've just got almost like decision trees to try and guide you down, mm-hmm. down that certain route. But yeah, the, the best time to seek advice is just any big changes in life. Okay. Now, every week uh, where we've covered our various topics, Hill's given us a look back over his own life story and how it's been affected by the subjects we've been discussing. So, Phil, uh, an experience on choosing a financial advisor. I'd say for me, I mean, I, I've seen the benefits of financial advice so many times in the past. I, I've had clients die and their life covers paid out. Clients who've been like, oh, you, thanks so much. You've helped me retire comfortably. So like I say, I, I'm a great advocate in, in financial advice. And I, I would say from, from my own experience of having been a financial advisor, I, I've seen the benefits and the peace of mind that it gives people. So, so yeah, there, there may be a cost, but I, I would say the benefits far outweigh that costs. Mm. The money is all uh, almost secondary for for both parties, really, isn't it? I mean, you get the they get the peace of mind, and you get the satisfaction of having helped them get to where they want to be. That's it. Uh, the, the whole reason I set up my business was that, like, I, I didn't do it for for money or anything. The the main reason for me is that I like helping people. And, and that was always my big driver. And I know I, I mentioned earlier, some financial advisory firms will have a minimum wealth level, but my, my firm doesn't. And, and the reason we don't do that is that it's like, I want to help as many people as I can. And, and that was the whole reason for setting up the podcast as well. It's like, I didn't do it for any financial gain. I do it to try and share my knowledge that it might help people and, and maybe not, that they, they won't make mistakes. I mean, I, I've made mistakes with my finances in the past, and it is it's it's trying to try to not make that mistakes again. That's that's a thing. So. <laughs> the benefit of life experience, as we said earlier, definitely. definitely. Uh, we also this, but as well, uh, you you find inspiration through various folk that you admire, and you do love a quote. Have you got one that fits our subject matter for choosing a financial guru? This week's quote comes from Warren Buffett. He he used to be the richest man in the world, and I think he is anymore but this one's a good one asking for financial advice from a financial planner is like asking a barber if you need a haircut (laughs) (laughs) exactly all right phil so to summarize in this episode what's our takeaway i'd I'd say the main takeaway would be if if you are looking for a a a financial advisor check the fca register make sure that they're on there That, that would be the first thing that i would say also use things like I mentioned that pension-wise service. If, if you're looking at your options for retiring, that can help you to get some knowledge on, on the options. But I, I would definitely say you cannot beat taking financial advice. 
Okay. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries, as he just mentioned. If you want to email a question to us, you can. And uh, if you want us to ask it anonymously, we'll do that for you. No problem at all. Contact details on how to get in touch coming up. Our first question today comes from Michael in Port Soy. And he says, hi, Phil, I'm about to buy a property. I'm wondering if you thought I would be better with a fixed rate or variable rate mortgage. Before you answer that, Phil, I should just say, we've done a couple of shows on mortgages already. And next week, uh, I think it's probably the ultimate mortgage show with that one mortgage question that I reckon every homeowner has asked at some point, how much can I borrow? So there may well be something for you there as well, Michael. Back to this question, is fixed rate or variable the way to go? It really depends. I mean, at, at the moment, there's very little difference between the interest rates just now. The, the variable rates tend to be a little bit less than the fixed rates, but not all that much. And, and what that indicates to me is that the lenders think interest rates are going to stay lower for longer. Usually if interest rates, if they think they're going to rise, then the fixed rates tend to be priced higher. So just now there's not an awful lot of difference between the interest rates on a fixed rate mortgage and a variable rate mortgage. But what I would say about a fixed rate is it's good for somebody if they want to know that their payments aren't going to change for right. a set period of time. So so like even at the minute, I mean the, the five-year fixed rates are not all that much more expensive than the two-year fixed rates. So so the interest rate is very similar. So so many people would be of the opinion, say, oh, well, I'm going to fix it for, for longer. I mean, there is, rates could come down, but I mean, his, I mean, the Bank of England base rate at the minute is 0.1%. So it's the lowest it's kind of ever been. So it's, I mean, it could go lower, but it's not likely. And I mean, I, I, I don't know, for, for me, I've always liked fixed rate mortgages because you could say, right, for two years, three years, five years, however long it's fixed. The only downside with fixing for a longer term is that there's a penalty usually if you come out of it early. So if you were to move home or circumstances change, then then that might be a factor. But yeah, I, I would say if, if you like to know exactly what you're going to be paying each month, then I would say a fixed rate would be be best. What's the, what's the upside to variable then? What's, what are the benefits of it? Normally... Usually with variable rates, you tend to pay a wee bit less initially, but then you've got the risk that that payments could rise or, exactly. or fall. I mean, I'm always saying about rising, but that's only because interest rates are, are historic, historically really low at the moment. So at, at the minute, I am on a variable rate mortgage myself, but the advantage of that for me is that I can pay that off at any time without mm penalty but some some variable rate mortgages the, the, it, there may still be penalties in the early years of that so th- there is quite a number of factors to, to take into account there as well okay next up is lorna in inverness she wants to know about taxation now this is again one that we touched on in recent weeks uh, which lorna knows because she's a regular listener but apparently we didn't deal with this specifically so lorna says she's self-employed for the first time ever it is coming up for a time when she doesn't have enough fan- funds to pay her next demand in full. So I guess that'd be coming up for July, a payment on account then. Various friends have told her that the best thing she can do is front up and actually contact HMRC now. Um, I just say, look, I, I don't have enough. Is is that the best advice, Phil? Yeah, definitely. I, I would always say speak to, to HMRC or, or speak to your accountant. I mean, if, if someone's got an accountant, they might be able to keep them right with, with some of the options. But I, I know at the minute, they are HMRC are more sympathetic 
due to the, the pandemic. So it is more likely that they'll give you more options to, to kind of pay. HMRC also do have a, a coronavirus helpline. So if you can't pay any of your bills because of the coronavirus, then I, I would certainly encourage you to, to look that up on, on HMRC's website. There is a the COVID-19 helpline there. So definitely be good to, to speak to them. So I, I know at present they are being a lot more flexible. I, I know last year, they, they allowed the payment on account. They would let people defer that and then pay mm-hmm. it on, when it was January. At the minute, I'm not aware of any plans that they're going to do the same again this year, but I, I would definitely say speak to HMRC and see what options they, they've got there. And they, they generally will. I mean, they, I think if it's under £30,000 that they, you owe, they, they'll let you generally set up a payment plan to spread yeah. the cost of it. So it's it, definitely worth speaking to them there. I would say too, before you get in touch uh, with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered quite a few topics so far and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us today for Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. If you feel that you need a helping hand with anything we've been talking about or anything else of a financial matter, find Phil for Finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online, Phil Anderson Financial Services online, or on the Facebook page for the show, search Personal Finance with Phil. Phil Anderson. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Facebook. Uh, Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well, or you can email a question that he can answer on a future show. The address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send your question. uh, And as I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. Take seconds. Uh, And then subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media good luck with your money phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further we'll see you next time when we discuss how much can you borrow uh, on a mortgage thanks for listening we'll see you then thanks john